Now, as we've done in the past few years on Father's Day, we're going to have a collage of men come up and speak. Uh, we're each going to take about five to seven minutes, and one will follow right after another. So you guys be ready when the guy's done to uh, the next guy come on up. So um, we're talking about developing a mind for ministry and developing a mind for ministry in the various areas of life that comprise a man's life normally. Uh, we can't talk to the exceptions. We don't have enough time to do that. But normally, the, the, what we talk about this morning will comprise the normal man's life. And to kick it off, I'm going to begin our time by talking about developing a mind for ministry with God. And then each man will follow. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to sum up this chapter in the next five minutes, so pray for me. It's almost an impossibility. You know, it's easy, much easier to talk for 45 minutes than five. So, in Colossians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 4, he says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, and he's talking about false religion here. He's talking about rote, just religion that uh, is like dollars and cents, and uh, self-made religion, he says in verse 23. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, because the resurrection is the focus, it's the, it's the apex of Christianity that Christ conquered sin and death, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of, the, of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. But you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, developing a mind for ministry begins with a radically transformed focus and perspective about life. And that's brought about as we are truly transformed by our relationship with Jesus Christ and by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And Christ is number one in our minds and hearts. In fact, the godly man sees Christ as his very life. It says in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. And that's what we're waiting for. And he sees striving for eternal reward as vastly more important than the temporal pleasures this world has to offer us. He's a man of eternal focus and priorities. You know, it was interesting talking, uh, doing Ron's memorial yesterday, and, and we kept getting back to the fact that his priority was serving God as best he could. That was the anchor of his soul. And that's really what the godly man is all about. Therefore, verse 5, it says, he considers the members of his earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, and he puts aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying, and evil practices, verse 9, which really are more and more characterizing our whole world these days. He lays those all aside for Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 10 tells us he puts on the new man that is in the likeness of Christ. He tries to really be like Christ. He wants to be a, that's what a Christian is, a little Christ. That's what Christian means. It, it, it means uh, those who are followers of Christ, but, but actually little Christ. And verse 12 tells us because he's chosen of God, holy and beloved, he puts on a heart of compassion. He puts on a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and Beyond all that, in verse 14, it tells us he puts on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. He strives to keep unity with those he loves and, and the body of Christ and, and uh, with those in the world who he's a witness to. He doesn't fly off the handle and destroy that unity. And he, and he lets the peace of Christ rule his heart. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 16 tells us that as uh, the word of Christ richly dwells in him with all wisdom. He teaches and admonishes, and that means he counsels others with the word of God. He develops a thankful heart for ministry. He serves God, and he loves to do so. It's not an obligation. It's not like, oh, they're asking me to do something again. 
It's like, wow, they're giving me an opportunity to serve the Lord I love. That's the joy of service, real Christian service. He serves God, and he loves to do so. It's not a burden. It's a passion. It's the passion of his life because Christ is his passion. He loves and ministers to his wife as Christ loves the church, verse 19. He raises his children in the nurture and counsel of the Lord, verse 21. He is a model employee. He does his work heartily as unto the Lord, verse 23. If he's the boss, he's fair and nurturing, knowing that he too has a master in heaven, chapter 4, verse 1. You see, that's the kind of man who has developed a mind for ministry with God. And that's what we'll be seeing on this Father's Day 2019. So I'm going to ask Elias to come up and enlighten us. And as you do that, I'm just going to pray for our men. So come on up, Elias. Father, I pray that you would take these words that you would, as quick as they are, but I pray they would be hard-hitting. We would understand that, that as men, we're to be godly men. As fathers, we're to be godly fathers. We're to love and nurture with the word of God, and we're to be different from this world in which we live. In fact, we're to be aliens and strangers, the scripture says. So help us to be that, that we might honor you by honoring those around us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Phoebe has given me the topic of developing a mind for ministry with my family. In other words, as a man with a family, I need to minister to my family. So two things from me today. Number one, husband, shepherd your wife. Number two, father, shepherd your children. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is number one of first importance above shepherding your children. Shepherd your wife. Men, if you are not shepherding your wife, if you are not washing your wife in the water of the word, then you are not husbanding her biblically. Why should I shepherd my wife? Number one, because the Bible says it. That's a good reason. Number two, don't you want your wife to be more pleasing to you, more pleasing to Christ? What has your method been when she sins against you? Uh, get even? Get angry? Get bitter? Has that yielded the results you've been wanting? God's method is to humbly wash your wife in the water of the word. What does that look like? Read the Bible together. Read devotions with her. Pray with her, both of you, out loud. Talk to her and listen to her. When you do these things, you're going to start to see your wife's heart. You realize where her struggles are, where her passions are. And so then you wash her with the water of the word. You memorize together applicable verses. You read together applicable devotionals, portions of scripture. You read together good books on the topic. Help your wife. She needs and she wants your help. It's your responsibility to humbly and lovingly shepherd her. It's your responsibility and your privilege. Look at verse 24 of Ephesians 5. It's fine if you're not there. We're going quick. You can just listen. Ephesians 5, verse 24. This is for the wives, but you'll see it's, it's really, this is going to be for the husbands this morning. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is a heavy thing for wives. They are told by God here that they need to submit in everything to their husbands. But look at the example they're given. As they're given the example of as the church submits to Christ. That's what it says. As the church submits to Christ, wives, you also should submit to your husbands. So as the wives step back and they look at the church, who's left? 
All the wives are stepping back and looking at the church and saying, how is the church submitting to Christ? This is how I need to submit to my husband. Who's left? You, husband. You are the one who's left. You are the one who's left to be an example to your wife. And so if you are not submitting to Christ and you expect her to submit to you, you're a fool and you're a hypocrite. You first need to submit in everything to Christ and be an example for your wife. And then she'll have the example to look to, to know how to submit to you. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, if you are not humbly, wisely, and lovingly bringing up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you're not a biblical father. Like a wise doctor prescribing the right medicine to the right symptoms to bring about the right cure, if you're not rightly applying the word of God to your children, you're not fathering biblically. It's heavy. How do I do this? One, you need to know the word yourself. How can we apply the word if we don't know it? Other ideas, take small steps. You might have tried and failed because you didn't start small. What we do is we sit down as daily as we can and memorize one verse every month. That's it. And, and as my kids get older, we're not doing more. One verse a month. Other ideas. You could read from an age-appropriate Bible, sing a song, pray, keep your prayers simple. Redeem your car rides with good books, audiobooks, good music. Review and apply your monthly verse throughout the day. Imagine that, applying the Bible to your daily life. Good idea. A couple helps. Go to YouTube, type in Paul Washer, and listen. Grab someone who you see is doing these things and say, brother, I need some discipleship. You've got to humble yourself. Brother, I need your discipleship. Can, can I take you to coffee? Read good books yourself. So if you're a husband, shepherd your wife. If you're a father, shepherd your children. This is your God-given responsibility. It takes discipline. It takes humility. Will you be a man, and will you step up to these? If then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on the things that are above. John's coming up next. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for letting me talk today. So my section, as you can see, is developing a mind for ministry for my church. Um, so I'll start off with one of my favorite, although not most common, Don Collins sayings is, uh, if I wasn't a Christian, I would fake it for the benefits. See, I grew up in the church. My wife grew up in the church. Actually, we grew up in this specific church. Uh, <laughs> my parents, Dave and Mary Nickel, uh, my parents-in-law, Don Chispa Collins. And so I definitely feel like I've gotten the benefits of growing up in the church and seeing the church. You know, as I grew up, I was poured into as a young kid through the youth ministry, the children's ministry. In high school, I got to be in the youth group and learn about the Bible and evangelism. And as I went to college and became an adult, I still had the support of this church. So as growing up, you know, I got to see the, the, you know, as a little kid playing with frogs behind the church center on 426 when we were there, got to do worship at the Elks Lodge uh, got to go to OCI for junior high five days a week and then come back on Sunday for church to stack and unstack chairs, which I don't miss anymore. And um, when this church was being built, got to kind of walk downstairs and do the prayer walk as we were building this specific church. So as I got invested in, you know, I also made friends and I got all the benefits of the church. In fact, as I mentioned already, I met my wife here and I got to get married here. Um, there's also benefits from the larger church that I've experienced. So in uh, the larger church ministry, as I went to my internship with Ernst & Young in San Jose, I reached out to local churches for affordable housing, and I found a great room to rent. When Whitney and I moved to Ireland, we did the same thing. We reached out to local churches and found a great family to take care of us for a couple months as we got our you know, feet set there. In fact, uh, you guys might not know, but I come from a Mennonite background. So there's a a ministry called Mennonite Your Way, which is basically the Airbnb before Airbnb, also before the internet even. The key difference is uh, 
as you might expect, they didn't really keep up with technology. So it's not an online database like Airbnb. It's more of a, a printed booklet. Whitney got, and I got to participate with this when we were in Ireland. Uh, and the downside being, after we moved back from Ireland, a couple years after, we still had people reaching out saying, hey, can we stay with you at your house in Ireland, even though we were no longer there. So, you know, there are a lot of benefits to being a member of the church and being able to participate in the ministry of the church. And uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in John, um, of some commandments that God gave us or that Jesus gave us for this. So in uh, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. See, God tells us that we need to minister to each other, that we need to love each other. And as I was thinking about it, it's not just about us getting what we can, right, getting the benefits or giving the blessings to each other, but it's also a primary tool of evangelism for those outside of the church. I mean, when someone comes in, you know, ultimately we all need to have an evangelism mindset to bring people to church, to invite them into church. But as people come into this community, and they get to see us interact and come to a, a, an event or a service, you know, what do they see? And how does that affect them? You know, in the next verse, 35, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we really get to see that it's not just for us to benefit, but it also benefits the broader community or the broader, broader world when we're ministering within the church. Uh, just a couple of chapters, chapters later in John 15, you kind of sense a theme on a lot of these verses. But um, Christ says, you did not choose me. This is chapter six, 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, may, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. And then again in First uh, John 3.23, I'll just flip there quickly. Uh, and this is my commandment, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded. So we kind of see the same commandment over and over again with a little bit of different application, though. We see, um, you know, that we're his disciples, that he chose and appointed us, and that we believe in Jesus, but each verse ends the same, that you love one another, love one another, love one another. And so how does that work in a place of actual application, right? What are the different ways that we love each other, right? There's a, a lot of things that are kind of available to us in the church to love each other. We've got man-to-man, woman-to-woman, uh, a lot of different ministries that we can be involved in that are kind of top-down. Um, but you'll see in the notes, Romans 12, and it also pencil in there, or on the daily reading, sorry, and it also pencil in there, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But I'm going to flip real quick to Ephesians 4. Uh, verses 11, 12, and then skip to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelism, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then in 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, from here in the other, you know, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see that the church is made up of a lot of different parts, right? Ultimately, it's not the responsibility of just leadership that we're paying or that have stepped into leadership roles to minister to the church, right? It comes down to every member being a part of the body, and you need to find a way to contribute. Um, and that's, to me, is kind of my favorite part, because when people come into the church and they see this working, they see different members filling different needs, uh, needs that meet maybe your gifts to give. Um, I really feel like that's where people get to walk away and see that this community is different, right? Because Christ is empowering this community versus just the unchurched community. So I have a little bit of a challenge for this wrapped in, right? Um, I mean, we, like I said, we have lots of ministries that are already laid out. Maybe it's kids ministry, right? Um, where it doesn't matter if someone's teaching or just helping, right? A kid is feeling love and ministered to just by someone spending time with them. Um, but how do we know what the needs are, right? There's certain needs that are pretty obvious, big needs that make it on the prayer chain, right? 
um, ministry needs that are kind of consistent, you know, greeting people or, or doing the music or the sound. Um, but there's also a lot of needs that don't really bubble up to the level that people see every day. Uh, and so how do we kind of learn about those needs? Um, so my challenge is, you know, that our church isn't that big. We know everybody maybe by face, but we don't know everybody's story or their background. So maybe in the next few weeks or a couple of months, uh, it might be a good idea as a family or an individual to invite someone else that you don't know as well over for a meal, um, maybe a family, a uh, single person, whatever. Not somebody that you'd you know, have lunch with anyway. It's kind of like a cheating the system or cheating the challenge. But maybe someone that you don't know as well, kind of get to know them, learn their background, right? We're, we're learning about this in the man-to-man book that we're going through about how to do that with kind of the unchurched. But I think there's a lot of value in that within the church as well. As we get to know each other better, we can kind of learn what someone's prior challenges or current challenges, right? It doesn't have to be something big, right? It could be something small. Someone needs some help weed eating. Someone just needs companionship, right? Um, but as we learn more about each other, we're able to evangelize and minister to each other more effectively. You know, so it's really hard to, to live that kind of kingdom here when people come in and see the church working well if we don't really know each other and know the needs of each other. So that's my challenge. Try to have a meal with someone. Pretty easy. Just get to know them. And maybe that will kind of open up opportunities uh, for ministry within the church. Thanks. Good morning. Well, my topic is on uh, developing a ministry for uh, a mind, a ministry for uh, our neighbors. Um, and when I'm done with this um, message, I have a little challenge, a small challenge for the men out there. So uh, when I'm done, I will fr- bring forth that challenge. <clears throat> In Matthew 22, um, a Pharisee lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? And Jesus looked at him and said, you are to love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Isn't that kind of confusing? He said, oh, yeah, you're right. That's good. In John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says that if you love me, you will do my commandments. So with Jesus' words, we just heard two little commands from Jesus, we know that we are to put God first and utmost in our life. What does that mean? Well, that means simply that before our family, before our jobs, before friends, we got to have the, the mind of God with us. Now, as we've been talking with other men here, it takes us to be in the word to do that. You know, the Bible says we need to be renewing our minds daily. And, to, and so that means we need to be in the word daily and to be renewing our minds. So we have these commands from, from our Lord. <clears throat> and, uh, and by putting him first, that shows our love for Christ. That shows our love for not only Christ, but because of the love of Christ, he's going to put within our hearts the love for others. And we need love for others. So Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our master. Um, So far, our love for him should show so much that we we will be obedient to his commandments. We want to be obedient to his commandments. In Matthew 28... It gives a command that go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And in Acts 1.18, Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the uh, remotest parts of the earth. And you're going, oh, man, that's cool. We got missionaries out there. They're doing this. Wow, that's, that's, that's what I like to hear. You know, isn't it, isn't it easy? It's easy to read the Bible and say, wow, that, those people are taking care of it. You know, being a Christian's easy. We got people out there doing this, this work. But no, 
That isn't so cool. That isn't, that isn't what it says. This command is for all of us. We all need to be out there witnessing to our neighbors. In fact, if we go back to Matthew 22, the second commandment, which is just as good as the first one, Jesus says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, wow, you're going to say, wow, Lee, that means I have to do something. Oh, man, that's tough. That's scary. A lot of people don't want to reach out and evangelize to people. A lot of people say, oh, man, I, they might not like me. I might say the wrong thing. Well, you know what? We can't do this on our own. And if we think that just by our actions as a Christian, if we think that, well, you know what, I, I'm a good person. I walk around and, and uh, I don't curse and I, I, I try to be nice to people and whatnot. Well, you know, if, if the apostles did that in Acts, we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be a church if they didn't use words, if they didn't go out and express the gospel to people. So that's, that's our example. We need to go out and express the gospel to people. Uh, so what does that look like? Well, our missionaries that are out in the field, they have a plan. So we, as a people, need to have a plan. Also, our missionaries, and, uh, and also not only missionaries, but leaders of church and whatnot, they, they, uh, they're intentional. You know, they, they plan and they're intentional with their plans. We need to be intentional with our plans. <clears throat> Now, we are meeting, not all of us, but a lot of us are meeting in the woman-to-woman -woman and men-to-men, -men, and we're reading an evangelistic book. Now, I pray that uh, we are learning some creative ways to reach out to our neighbors through this man-to-man through this -man and woman-to-woman. -woman. Uh, but we have to realize that we cannot do this on our own. And when I say on our own, I mean on our own power. <clears throat> In Acts, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. Today, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. So we have the power. You know, we have the power to go out and talk to our neighbors. Um, we have the power to be intentional. Uh, and by being intentional, I say this. You, if you have somebody on your mind that you that you say, well, I, I really need to witness this person. Well, you need to get down on your hands and knees and you need to pray. You need to pray that God would open up their hearts and their minds to the gospel, to the truth. And, uh, and you might say, well, are my prayers heard? Well, guess what? King David in Psalms 55.1 says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. And Jesus says in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, that we are not to have any doubts when we pray. Because if we don't have any doubts when we pray, we'll be able to move mountains. So when we pray, we need to know that God cares for each one of us. And not only each one of us, God cares for our neighbors. And so when we pray, we need to be praying in faith. And we need to believe the words we're praying to our Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer is very important. Prayer is number one before you do anything. You just can't walk out to somebody and start talking to them if you don't cover yourself in prayer. So we need to be covered in prayer. You need to pray for the people that you're going to uh, witness to. Uh, also, when we go to our neighbor, it, uh, it has to be done in love. 1 Corinthians uh, 13 one says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So when we reach out to our neighbors, first we need to establish a relationship with them. Take the uh, Proverbs of the Good Samaritan. He didn't walk by that guy and say, oh, the Lord bless you and I'll pray for you. No, he had compassion for that man. He had compassion for that man. He not only helped him with his wounds, he took him to a place to stay, paid, paid for his time there. You know, there's an old saying, we need to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And that's what it, that's what it means. We need to care 
for other people. We need to care for our fellow man. Uh, we're, we're sitting here all together, and we love the Lord, and we're, we're, we're strong in numbers. But guess what? God put each one of us into another neighborhood. Some in Awani, some in North Fork, some in Ochre, some out here, some in Mariposa. And why did he do that? He did that so that we could be a light in our own neighborhood, so that we can show our neighbors the love of Christ. And so we have to build that relationship, just like the Good Samaritan. You have to walk with people. You know, maybe it's not your neighbor. Maybe it's a guy at work. You know, maybe you're at a doctor's office. It's hard to build a relationship there when you're talking to somebody, but sometimes if you're listening... There's an opportunity to speak the gospel to somebody on what people say. So we have to be intentional with our thoughts, intentional with our actions. As Christ is the head of the church, so we men have been given the headship of our families, just as Elias is talking about. We men set the tone and the example for our families. So if we're not out there doing it, they're not going to follow you. You know, men, you are leaders in your family. Uh, you're, not to, you're not to just turn on the tube and watch the tube. And I, I got to confess, I do that a lot. We all do. But we are leaders. We need to lead. And again, Elias came up with some great stuff we need to be doing with our, with our wives and our children. So my challenge to us men is that we need to be intentional. And when, what do I mean by intentional? Let's make some plans. Let's look around your neighborhoods and say, you know what? I need to talk to this person or I need to talk to that person. And then when you make those plans and you are intentional, you need to get down on your knees and ask God to send the Holy Spirit not only to them, but to give you wisdom and to give you boldness so that you will reach out to your neighbors. It's a scary thing. You know, it's, it's hard to reach out to people. Uh, it's just not a natural thing that, for us to do. But you know what? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do have God behind us. God loves us. And he's willing to uh, back us up. He's behind us. He's, so I, I just... Uh, my challenge is we need to do that, man. We need to be this example for our families. We need to go out there, and we need to uh, uh, first pray. But then also we need to build that relationship. We need to build relationships. So I, I pray that, each, that the Spirit of God will be with each one of us and help, help us keep us our eyes open for the opportunities to speak the gospel to our neighbors. That's what we need to do. We need to have that opportunity, but we need to have our eyes open. You know, again, we can't do anything if we're not in the word, if we don't pray, and, and, uh, and we, uh, we need to be doing that. Um, anyway, that's what I have. Thank you, and God bless you. Don? Dave. Thank you, guys. Wow. From the old to the young, right? I mean, future elders. I want to begin with a theory. <clears throat> the theory is this. If I took this front row out next week, y'all would be moving back one row. <laughs> just a theory, and if you're in the back row, you're in trouble. It's probably a danger zone. So uh, I'm just looking at this front row thinking, nobody sits in the front row. What's up with that? My topic is with my job. That's what was assigned to me, and that's what I'm going to try to attack, okay? To straighten out our sometimes distorted theology of work, we need to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We look at Genesis as the starting point of many things uh, that have taken place throughout mankind, and uh, such is the case with regards to work. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight, to the sight of, for, for good and 
that is good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15 says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. This is in Genesis chapter 2. The most notable thing about this passage is that it takes place before the fall. Catch that. Before the fall. We think of things so much after the fall. Sometimes we need to recalibrate and understand what it is that happened up to the point before the fall. The word cultivate in Genesis 2.15 is actually the Hebrew word for work or service. The word keep carries the idea of care and protection. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Let that sink in. Work is what we were created for. Hmm. We sometimes live in a culture that views work as something bad or even punitive in nature. How often times do we look at it that way? Hmm. Punitive kind of uh, implies a punishment. And once again, we look at the after the fall and we see in Genesis, right? We're not going to march through that, but what God has to say after the fall. But it's right there in the Bible, plain as day. God created you to work. And that's only the beginning of the story. Adam started out tending the garden, and God had much bigger plans for him. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Adam's dominion over the garden was to expand into dominion over the whole earth. By producing godly offspring and teaching them to work, Adam and Eve were to subdue all of creation. The language of subduing and ruling mirrors what God did in creation, and that was turning chaos into order. Adam and Eve are to turn the whole earth into the Garden of Eden. Think of that. And it won't happen by magic, but by a concerted effort. Theologians call Genesis 1, and 28 the cultural mandate. God is mandating that humans will create culture. Adam and Eve will produce children. Those children will create families, and those families will band together into cities and social networks. Those networks of human beings will reflect all aspects of human culture. Language, art, music, food, philosophy, and yes, theology. It's no accident that the ultimate biblical picture, and I'm going to read this. This is from a pastor I was reading up on. His name is Bob Thune, back east. Neat guy. And this is his words. It is no accident that the ultimate biblical picture of redeemed humanity involves a city. Revelation 21.2 says, Then I, John, saw what? Saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. A city reflects human culture in its most developed and complex forms. God's purpose for humanity started in a garden, but it culminates in a great cultural center. He didn't just intend for them to have babies and plant trees. They were meant to exercise dominion over all creation, turning the entire earth into a showcase of the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God. And then working it and caring for it for all of eternity. So work was God's design from the beginning. And the ultimate goal was for every aspect of life and culture to be saturated with the beauty and the glory and the love of God. That is so uplifting. It really ought to just uplift you. So how do we develop a mind for ministry as it pertains to our work? One, understand it is God's design that we work. Bob Schultz wrote a book called Created for Work. Great devotional if you have any kids in the 10-year-old or whatever, grandkids. It's an amazing devotion. And, and Bob systematically goes through with short devotions 
and teaches out of the Word of God what work is and why we were created for it. Amazing book. I took the boys through it. Number two, understand the meaning of develop, which is to grow or cause to grow and become more mature, advanced, or elaborate. When you develop something, it is oftentimes comes with a concentrated effort and intentionality. We've heard that time and again from this pulpit this morning. It may start out as something small like an idea of source, but may develop into something much bigger. We need to see more Christians live a life of work in this manner, taking opportunities to display in an uplifting way what God has ordained. What he has ordained. Not you. What he has ordained. Number three, know that your work Know, that, know who you work for. We've heard this too. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You may be here this morning and you may not be a Christian, and this may make absolutely no sense to you. But as a Bible-believing Christian, it means something to me because it resonates with my heart. It resonates with the spirit in me. And if you're a Christian, it ought to resonate with you also. Now get this. My ultimate boss is a Jewish carpenter. My boss here on earth is the president of a corporation that I work for. Her name is my wife. Every Sunday night before bed, she gives me money and tells me to go make more. I'm motivated to do just that. Got to please the president, right, gentlemen? Amen? Amen. Okay, all right. So I, I and you need to be mindful of the fact that we touch many lives in the course of our work, both within the home and outside of the home, in the church and outside of the church. Understanding that we were created for work should help us to understand that it is important as we display the glory of God. Having been created by him, so that others may come to know him. Thank you, guys. Dave? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Don. That was wonderful. Yeah. Developing a mind for ministry with my time. Time's kind of a... Uh, a thing that's out there, it's not really graspable. So, uh, the, all right, kids, uh, why did the boy throw the clock out the window? Oh, yeah, you guys got it all to see time fly. I looked up a bunch of quotes on, on the Internet. Okay, time is of the, yeah, a stitch in time saves, why nine? I don't know. It rhymes, okay. Uh, time is an uh, illusion, okay? Time is money. Time is on my side. Time is relative. Time is running out. It is time. Okay. All right. Uh, time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. Hmm. How did it get so late so soon? Time heals all wounds. I just thought it's because I was forgetful. Don't waste time. It wasn't his time, or it was his time. Hmm. Uh, I'm just killing time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, time is what keeps everything from happening at once. All right. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, no, we'll, we'll, okay, we won't get stuck there. Okay, a lost time is never found again. Hurry up, we don't have all day. Time is what we want the most and what we use the worst. You may delay, but time will not. We have 168 hours in the week. You use it as you will. You know, most of the quotes here uh, that I looked up, they have to do with uh, the use of time or the effect of time, the loss or gain of time, uh, things time can give or can't give, maybe uh, the worthlessness of it all, 
Well, good old Shakespeare had something to say about that, too. In his words, which kind of sometimes uh, embodies the world's idea of time, developing a ministry of time, remember. This is what the world may say. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this pace from day to day. To the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle, life's but a wake, walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more, is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Really? That's what the world thinks of time. Yeah, maybe what you learned in high school. Uh, but for us Christians, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond, far beyond all comparison. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Isn't that a neat comparison? Nothing, everything. Hmm, I like it. Bible says life is a vapor and all flesh is grass. Uh, I'm choosing from Ephesians 5, which Elias used as well. Uh, a little bit different verse, it says, be very careful then how you live, how do we use our time? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Follow the Lord's will. Use our time. You know, uh, developing uh, a mind for ministry with my time uh, if we did that, I think it's developing time for ministry. Not necessarily a time, but time in general for ministry. How do I use my time? It's energy. Okay. Uh, things we take time for is what we value. So I can see what I value by maybe looking at my calendar, seeing what I spend my time with. If all my extra time is pulling my, out my cell phone and looking at the, my smartphone, Maybe that's what I value. I want to change that and maybe value, value uh, eternal things. And we've spoken about that today. We value our church. We value our family, our friends, the jobs God has given us. Okay? So what do I spend time with? Well, let's ask the what if question. Okay, The what if. Okay, What if I finished all that I need to do for the year. I have plenty of money. No, like, like really, no lawn to mow, no wood to split, no dishes to wash, no food to prepare, uh, no bank account to balance, no weight to lose, mm -hmm. no gas tanks to fill, no gophers to chase. Yeah. Then, what would I use my time for? Oh, I'm going out. I'm taking a vacation, right? I'm going to take a vacation. Oh, I'll buy a new house. I'll get a new car. I'll have flowers delivered to my house every single day. Some of you kids or maybe some adults might want to have the newest white box. I mean Xbox or whatever those things are you play games with. Yeah, okay. Some of you are like, yeah, I want that. All right. Uh, virtual reality. Uh, look, I can fall and not even hit the bottom. <laughs> All right. Well, what does God say? What does God say about that? Look in Luke 12. He tells us a parable. Luke 12, 16 to 21. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, 
and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure to himself, but is not rich towards God. So using our time, how do we become rich towards God? In our family, in our church, in our job, with our neighbors. We focus on the eternal things. And do I take time for those? Do I take time for the godly, eternal things. Simple. Where do I start? Relationships. 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 Those are eternal. That's what God calls us. That's what our ministry is. It's relationships with people. Relationship with God. Relationship with myself. I take time for that. Time and energy. Is there the traditional disciplines? Worship. You can probably name them. Worship, prayer, fellowship, meditation, service, service to others, confession and fasting. The old hymn says, take time to be holy. And listen to the first verse. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. Abide in him always and Feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing his blessings to seek. That speaks a lot in that old hymn. We need to acknowledge, too, that as we take our time, we find ourselves busy with all the mundane things. There are dishes to wash. There are gas tanks to fill and gophers to chase. But we need to remember, too, that our busyness doesn't impress God. God doesn't look down and say, hmm, wow, I like that. He's busy. Yeah, I don't think so. When we say, God, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Uh, Does God look at us and say, hmm, yeah, I can learn something from that guy. (laughs) He's not impressed. He's not impressed. I can get so busy that I don't have time for right relationship and godly activity. I can do things that God likes, that God appreciates. Is he impressed? No. But I can join him in his work. So developing a mind for ministry in my time means evaluating my life by his standards, not the world's. I'll say that again, it's very important. Developing a mind for ministry with my time means evaluating my life by his standards, not the world's. When I evaluate my life, evaluate my life by the world's standards, I can get pretty discouraged. If I do it by God's standards, I'm encouraged because he walks with me all the way. So no matter how much time I have or don't have, no matter how busy I am, With all my schedules and mental agendas, each morning I can wake up with thankfulness and ask the Father who watches over my life, what do you have for me to do today?